Good morning. We are uh, continuing this sermon series uh, called The Power of Together. And uh, in this sermon series, we've been considering uh, the value of being together and how that strengthens us and helps us in our faith. And so this morning, I'd like to start today's message by uh, telling you a story of togetherness from Jesus's life. And the story takes place in a fishing town of Capernaum in uh, ancient Palestine during the time of Jesus. And uh, and, uh, Jesus has been to Capernaum before. In fact, uh, when he was there, he did. He had quite the ministry. He gathered people and he uh, and he taught them in his in the in their synagogue, and he drove out a demon who, as uh, the demon was uh, being driven out, screamed at Jesus, Have you come to destroy us? And Jesus said, Be quiet and cast the demon out. And he healed another man of his leprosy in this town. And so uh, Jesus is going to come back to Capernaum, and, he, and after he has made quite the impression the first time, And as he enters the city, he enters to a hero's welcome. You can imagine the people running through the streets shouting, He's back! He's back! Jesus has come back! And the people uh, all gather uh, around him. Uh, Jesus goes into a home, and I don't know why he has chosen to go into a house. Sometimes he teaches out in the open air, but maybe this day was particularly hot. Maybe he planned on teaching for a long time, and so he wanted a comfortable place. But anyway, he goes into someone's house, and uh, it could very well have been Peter's house. We know Peter was from Capernaum. And as he enters the house and begins uh, to teach, the crowds continue just to pour in. Pretty soon, uh, it is is jam-packed. There's just no room left, and the crowds begin to gather around outside the door and outside the windows, straining their necks just to hear what is being said. Now, last week, we uh, uh, started the NFL season. And it was the first game in SoFi Stadium with crowds, right? And uh, they sold all the seats, and then they sold what is called SRO tickets. You know what SRO tickets are? SRO stands for standing room only. You could buy a uh, a ticket to get in the stadium, and you wouldn't have a seat to sit in. Uh, you just ra- uh, roam around the stadium and try to watch the game where you could. Uh, when Jesus begins to teach in Peter's house, it's SRO tickets left only. It's standing room only. People are just crowded all around. Now, as the crowds make their way back from the street, there is, there is a smaller group of people. In fact, it's, it's just five of them. And these uh, five uh, gentlemen are late to the party. Uh, Everyone was shouting, Jesus is here! And everyone makes their way to uh, to, to the home to get the best seat possible. Well, four of these guys heard that Jesus was coming and they went in the opposite direction. They went to gather their friend who they knew couldn't get there on his own because their friend was paralyzed. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how he was paralyzed, if he had a stroke or if he had an accident or what. All we know is that uh, he cannot walk, 
And his friends are so burdened by his condition that their deepest concern is get the man to Jesus because they're convinced that Jesus could be able to help him with uh, his problem. And so the paralyzed man and his four friends pick him up on a cot and when they get to the house they recognize, as we can predict, there's a problem. There's no way they're going to bust through the crowds to get to the person they want to see. I mean, it's standing room only. It's, 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 it's people as far as the eye can see. And so I, I imagine them huddling together like a football team. There's a paralyzed guy in the middle and there's four friends around and, they come up and they're going to come up with a plan. What are we going to do? We're going to wait it out? When everybody's left, then we'll find Jesus. No, 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 he'll be way too tired. The disciples will shoo us off. Should we cause a big distraction, like disperse the crowd? No, that's a terrible idea. If you do that, do you think Jesus is going to be inclined to help us? And someone comes up with the idea, there's stairs on the outside of the house, a flat roof. We can dig through the roof and lower our friend down through. Now, I'll have to admit, if all the scenarios I can think of this one doesn't seem to be the best. <laughs> like, this is the best they got. And, uh, but somehow they decide, they break the huddle and they say, let's go with that plan. And so uh, they make their way up to the top of the roof. Now, the roof was made a thick roof, uh, a mixture of clay and mud that had been hardened with rollers. And so to get to get through it would be almost like jackhammering through concrete. You can imagine them up there with pickaxes just going at it. And you can imagine the people in the, in the crowd below thinking, what in the world's going on? And the, du- and the dust and the dirt starts to fall from the ceiling. I'm sure Peter is like, this is my house, guys! Knock it off! Uh, but eventually they get a hole in the roof, a rope on each end of the, each corner of the cot, and they lower the man down before Jesus. Let me uh, pick it up now in Mark chapter 2. I want to read these two verses word for word. Mark 2 verses 4, for five, 4 and 5. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Verse 5 is today's sermon. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. The first thing that jumps off the page to me when I read that verse is that Jesus noticed their faith. It's a plural faith. It's not the faith of the paralyzed man who lays on the cot. I don't know where he stood. It seems that there is some sort of spiritual condition that Jesus will address. Son, your sins are forgiven. But the first thing that I notice here is that faith is in the plural. It is the faith of the four guys who went through just sheer determination, 
no concern for getting to see Jesus themselves, no concern with how hard the task was. It was a collective faith in action. It was their faith that they lowered that uh, that lowered the mat before the uh, with the paralyzed man on it before Jesus that Jesus noticed and was pleased with. And so I want to just pause and ask you a few questions this morning. First of all, do you have friends like that? that that's my first question. Do you got friends that, it, uh, that are so concerned for you that they would go out of their way to help you in your time of need? When you're at your lowest, do you have friends that you can go and talk to? And, not, and, and friends that will, that will do more than just commiserate with you in your misery, but friends who will carry you to Jesus when you can't get there yourself. That's the first set of questions. And then the second set of questions I want to put before us today are, would you be like a, a friend like that to someone else? Would you be willing to enter into someone's life when they are at their lowest? And would you be willing to seek to encourage them to trust in the Lord? This sermon series is meant to be pretty practical. Like we're talking about uh, worshiping God together, and we talked about uh, last week uh, studying God's Word together. Next week will be uh, uh, the power of praying together. But today, I think today is fundamental, and it's probably the least obvious of all the together sermons. Today's sermon is on the power of trusting in God together, trusting in God together. Because let's just be honest, there are times in our lives when we need someone to help us trust in God. Sometimes because of our emotional state, because of our physical state, because whatever it is, we can't do it on our own. And we need someone to trust in God with us, and we might even need to have someone trust in God for us, because there is power in trusting God together. This man couldn't walk physically, like he was physically paralyzed. But as we think about today's message, I want to really try to emphasize that as we apply it to our own lives, we're talking primarily about an emotional paralysis and a spiritual paralysis. To be emotionally paralyzed means that you just don't feel like you can go on any longer. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. Like, just the, you, you have become so stressed out, depressed, anxious, whatever the emotion is, you don't feel like you can take another step on your own. You're emotionally paralyzed. And then there is such a thing as spiritual paralysis, when you just don't feel like you can say another prayer. It doesn't feel like you can open the Bible and read another word. You can't have another uh, uh, spiritual conversation with a friend. In other words, your faith is gone. It's dead. It's like legs that don't work. Your faith isn't working. You feel like, spiritually speaking, you can't take another step. And this is what we're talking about this morning, in the power of trusting God together to come alongside of one another in emotional and spiritual 
paralysis because sometimes we need that. We need a, a friend to help trust, help trust in God for us and with us. You know, early on in uh, my pastoral ministry, actually this took place before I came to West Covina Christian Church, uh, I was young in the, uh, young in the, you know, I had only been in ministry a couple years, I'd just been married, and, uh, and it, was a, it was a difficult situation. Uh, this, the church, it was not healthy. I came there as the associate pastor, and uh, just a few months after I had been there, the senior pastor uh, went into the hospital, and he never came out. And he was there for many, many months, and then he passed away, and it was rough on me. I, I, to be honest, this was probably the hardest time in my whole life. And uh, I remember sitting down with Chelsea, my wife, and saying, what are we going to do? Like, I don't feel like I can go on like this any longer. And, and I remember us actually talking about, and I, it's hard for me to believe that we would have done this, but in, with real seriousness, we talked about, well, maybe I should drop out of the ministry and we'll the two of us will move back and live with my parents in Iowa. Like, it's hard for me to imagine that I would do that, but I had, I had run out of options. Like, emotionally, I was depressed, I was frustrated, I was anxious. Uh, spiritually, I just felt like my prayers were ineffective. I had nothing left. I was at the end of my rope. Well, in, uh, when I was in this state, I, I went and I visited a, a pastor's group that we had that met monthly, and, uh, and we sat around the table. It was probably five or six pastors, and we all were to share how they were doing. And that particular day, I decided to let the mass down and to share with them what was really going on. And I let them all have it. I let them know, like, I, I'm, I'm not in a good place. I'm, I'm ready to drop out of ministry. I'm ready to call it quits. I'm ready to get out of here. And, uh, and, they were, and the leader of the group was about to go to the next person, and there was someone in the group that was wise enough to say, hang on a second. Here's our brother in need. Let's just focus on him today. And for the next hour, they let me cry, and they let me uh, share what was going on, and someone shared a Bible verse with me, and someone encouraged, uh, gave me some words of encouragement, and then they all prayed for me. And in that one hour, the five, of, five or six of them carried me to Jesus in a way that I couldn't do on my own right at that moment. My faith had run out. Spiritually, I was broken. And I don't know what would have happened, but that to me was a divine appointment in that moment. I needed those friends. Otherwise, I was not going to be able to go on any longer. And maybe you can imagine that from, in, from times in your own life, that God brought people in at just the right time to come alongside of you and carry you, carry you to Jesus, so to speak. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says, Two are better than one, because they can have a good return for their labor. If one of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. 
Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how, but how can one keep warm alone? Though, no one, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I don't know why, but whenever I read that verse, I get the image of tug-of-war. You know, <laughs> if, you got, if I had a string right now and I ran it to the back and I asked for a volunteer, hey, you want to uh, 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 wrestle me in tug-of-war here? We, and we had one string. We wouldn't get a very good game because it would snap right away, right? You get two uh, strings and we, and we uh, twist them together and it's a little stronger. You get three good solid pieces of rope and, and braid them. And now all of a sudden we could divide all of us up in uh, two teams, this half versus this half. I think I'll go, with, uh, I'll go with this half. No, I'm just kidding. I'll go with you. Um, but uh, we'll have a good tug of war. And that's the idea of the, the strength of community, right? That together we're stronger together than, uh, than we are apart. Now here is here's the rub. Oftentimes the sticking point is not in uh, need, not in the inability of others to help. The sticking point is that we don't have the ability to ask for help. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because we're ashamed to admit that we need help or if we're fearful of what someone will think or if, if, or if it's motivated by pride. But there are two points to this sermon. One is that we, ought to be able to, that we ought to be willing to come alongside and help someone. The second point, I think, is just as crucial. And that is that we must be vulnerable enough to ask for help. It, when this man comes before Jesus, his need is obvious. He's paralyzed. He can't walk. And part of the reason we struggle to help one another is because we're not willing, enough, we're not will, willing to let people know where we're paralyzed, how we're hurting, where we need them to come alongside of each other. You know, let me tell another pastor's meeting friend a story. And um, well, actually, this story is not a personal story, but this is a story I heard from another pastor. He, he once uh, told in a sermon that I heard, he uh, said that he was counseling someone in his office. And uh, as he was counseling him, this guy was in the kind of state we're talking about this morning. He's just at the end of his rope. Uh, and uh, poured out, he was, he was disappointed, he was frustrated, he couldn't go on. And finally, like a good pastor should, he says, can I pray for you? And here's why I remember this story, because this is a really weird thing to happen. Uh, the, uh, the guy said, yes, you can pray for me. And, it, and I've, I've tried to imagine how would I react to this, but the guy went and he climbed on to the back of the pastor. This is how the pastor told the story. It's hard for me to believe this, but this is what he told. He said, as he was beginning to pray, the guy went and climbed onto the back of the pastor and the pastor began to, uh, and it began to pray. Now, I don't know what motivated him to do that, and I've oftentimes thought that is a really weird story. But the more I've thought about it, there is something there I like about it. Here's the point that I want to drive home. That sometimes we have to piggyback on someone else's faith. That sometimes we've got to climb on to the back of someone else that's stronger than we are in the moment. 
And let that person pray for us. Let that person believe for us. Let that person encourage us. And then as uh, he or she does, we begin to draw a little more strength until we get strength in our own legs to stand up on our, own, on our own. But to not ask for help, to not be willing to piggyback onto someone else's uh, uh, faith is a recipe for spiritual death. Let me just say that as clear as I, I can. I've seen it happen so many times. People begin to struggle emotionally, spiritually, and rather than piggybacking onto someone else, they pull off and they isolate and they seek to do, go it alone. And that is a recipe for spiritual death. Don't go it alone. Okay, so we, I've tried to emphasize the power of trusting God together. Now I'd like to say three things in terms of application. How will we find a friend like this? Well, the first step to finding a friend uh, to uh, help us in, the, in these type of ways is to be a friend like that. If you need a friend like that, you have to, first of all, be a friend like that. You have to be willing to enter into someone's life. You have to be willing to go out of your way to love that person. And it's not easy. It's, it takes uh, effort, but we encourage, we pray for, we love, we support. We spend, we're willing to spend time talking and listening and, uh, and especially praying for. And so to, if you need a friend like that, the first step is to be a friend like that. The second thing I would say is you need to be vulnerable. So the first thing is be a friend. The second thing is be vulnerable. And that's what I've talked about, the idea of being able to admit when we are hurting or when we are weak. Now let me tell you another story, and this is a story from one of our sister churches. We have what we call an OMB meeting, uh, which is Ordained Ministerial Board, which is the ordained pastors of our conference. We meet once a month. And, uh, and I remember that we met on this particular Tuesday, and uh, we were doing something similar, going around the table, sharing how we're doing. We get to one of our, uh, pa one of, a pastor from a sister church, and he says, I'm uh, dropping out of the ministry. I'm not going to be a pastor anymore. And uh, there was just silence around the table. And uh, the other, and other pastors said, what? What's going on? And he began to share how he was struggling. And then he got to the point, uh, uh, when he got done sharing, I can specifically remember another pastor saying, and this was probably the pastor that was the closest friend to the person that was uh, leaving, the, leaving pastoral ministry, ministry. He said, I had no idea. Why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you tell us? It's too late now. Why didn't you tell us? And my challenge for us is to tell somebody. We're not very good at being vulnerable with one another. To be willing to tell one another, hey, I need you right now. And don't, don't assume that uh, they know to ask, do you need me? It's kind of, I probably shouldn't share this, but... Um, this is not my marriage, all right? It'll never be my marriage. But uh, you, there, there's kind of sometimes like the wife will get mad at a husband and, 
and, she, and, uh, she, and he'll say, why are you mad at me? She'll say, you should know why I'm mad at you, why I'm mad at you right? <laughs> and uh, and uh, she'll say something like, if you really loved me, you'd know why, I was, why I'm mad at you. No, it doesn't work that way. So my point is, be vulnerable, be specific, be willing to ask for help. And then my third point of application is this, to be, persistent, to be consistently present. In other words, just keep showing up. The only way we form relationships that can support us is by just spending time with people. So you show up to your life group, you volunteer in ministry, you, you sit down for the cookies after the service, you, you, just, you, you, take time, you just keep showing up. There is such a thing as the ministry of presence, just being present. There's, the relationships are formed over time, and that's so valuable. Okay, let me just say before I conclude this morning that I know all of this is really hard. And I know this is one of these sermons that, hey, that's a good idea in one, out, in one ear out the other. Like we hear it and we're like, I hope somebody will be available for me. I know I would want to be, but I don't think I can do it. My life is too busy. I, uh, I just, I don't have the strength to do it myself. I'm barely struggling along. Uh, uh, this is really, really hard. Okay, I'm going to try to address that in a way that you'll hopefully remember come Tuesday. And uh, so I'll try to make this really practical and visual. I've got an extension cord here, right, with six outlets, six plugins. You can plug in six things to this outlet. So Dawson's my main man here. He's going to help me out. Uh, thing number one. Okay, Dawson's going to bring them all at the same time. Very good. Okay, set them down, buddy. Thank you. Thing number one is space heater. Need a space heater. Not, we're, we're starting to get to the point of needing a space heater, hopefully soon. Thing number two is radio. And uh, we got that plugged in. Uh, radio and alarm clock, that's a good thing to have. Thing number three is air compressor. Got to have an air compressor, right? So very crucial. T uh, plug in your air compressor. Thing number four is uh, phone charger. That actually is crucial. Thing number five is a blank cord. Nothing on the end of this one. Just kidding. That's supposed to be a, for a pencil sharpener, which is in here somewhere. And thing number six is mixer. So now pencil sharpener is plugged in. Hang with me. Bear with me. There's a point to this. Hopefully it'll be worth it in the long run. Outlet is full. Six things. Now, one more thing, Dawson. The drill comes along. And Mr. Drill wants to make a hole. Thank you, Dawson. Let's give a round of applause for my handyman, Dawson. <laughs> the drill wants to make a hole. But the problem is there's no more plugins. Nothing left for the drill. Uh, one of three options for Mr. Drill. 
tough luck, buddy. No, you can't do it. Uh, You're not going to drill a hole today. Option number two is, I saw an outlet over there. Go and get plugged in over there. But the most likely uh, thing that I would do if I really wanted to drill a hole is I would unplug something, right? I'd unplug the space heater. I don't need that right now. And uh, I would plug in the drill, and then I can make a, a, a hole. Well, I believe our lives are a lot like this outlet. We get so full that we think we don't have time to let someone else in our lives. Eventually, all of our plugins are occupied. And it's because life is busy. Work is busy, family is busy, activities are busy, and someone comes into our lives and says, I need help right now. God lays it on your heart. They might even be bold enough to ask you for help. But we, and we have one of three options. We can either say, tough luck, buddy, can't help you out, or we could say, go talk to so-and-so. He or she's really good at that, and sometimes we may have to do that. But here's my challenge this morning. Is there a way that you could unplug something in, our, in your life to be able to plug in the power of trusting in God together? And that might mean that you need to get rid of some activities in your life. That might mean you might need to work a little bit less or to let go of that hobby or something. But God is laying on your heart. He may even be laying on your heart right now a person in your mind to help. And you're going to have to say no to something else. And maybe it's, not no to, maybe it's not unplugging something in your schedule. Maybe it's unplugging something in your mind or your heart. You see, sometimes we might need to let go of a thought that I couldn't do that. I'm not strong enough. I, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to pray well enough. Uh, I, I couldn't do that. And I'll just say, that's not true. All our goal is to carry people to Jesus. It's not dependent on our power. It's to let go of those thoughts, or maybe it is to let go of those attitudes that keep us from being vulnerable. The fear, the pride, the shame. And God is calling us to unplug all those things. And I emphasize all of this because I think what we are talking about is crucial to our, to our spiritual walks. What's on the line is your soul your very spiritual state. Now, when this man in this story is lowered before Jesus, I find it to be quite interesting that the first words out of his mouth are not, take up your mat and walk, but, son, your sins are forgiven. You see, I can imagine the, uh, the friend sitting at the top of the hole on the, on the roof thinking, hey, can't you see this guy? The, the problem is not his sins. The problem is his legs. And Jesus wants to take care of what is most important, first of all, and that's his soul. And you may think your problem is your boss. You may think your problem is your circumstances or your marriage or the bills that keep coming in or your crazy schedule. And uh, you may think those are all the things that have uh, caused you to feel emotionally paralyzed or spiritually paralyzed. But the greatest concern is what is in your heart. You see, if Jesus were to stand before us this morning right now, I am convinced 
that the words he would speak to you right now are very similar to the words that he spoke to that man 2,000 years ago. He would say, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. And in saying that, what he is saying is, all those things, all those sin, those sins and those things in your life that have kept you from God are washed away. You see, in saying, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven, what Jesus is calling us to is he's, is he's calling us to draw close to him. Eventually, the paralyzed man got up and walked, but Jesus' first concern was his spiritual condition. And I wish I could promise that whatever is troubling you this morning will be uh, washed away and wiped clean and made perfect, just like the miracle that was worked 2,000 years ago. But I can't make that promise. But what I can promise you is that if you surrender what is weighing you down to Jesus and give him control of it, the result is peace and hope. And isn't that what we are ultimately seeking when we feel emotionally and spiritually paralyzed? It's because we've run out of peace and we've run out of hope. And when we come to Jesus, uh, we receive what our souls most long for, hope and peace. And if you don't feel like you can do that on your own, that's okay. Hop onto somebody else's faith. Ask them to pray for you and to check in with you and to be there with you. And you're not imposing upon them. In fact, you're giving them the opportunity to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And that's a blessing. That's a gift. You're not asking anything that's going to burden them. You're, asking, you're giving them a precious gift. And wouldn't it be great if God could use us to make that kind of difference in someone else's life? You see, this is the power of trusting God together. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today. And I thank you for the um, example that we see in Mark chapter 2 of these friends that come carrying uh, their friend in need on a mat and lowering them before Jesus. And uh, God, I pray that this story would inspire us to one, be willing to help someone else, to carve out time in our hearts and in our schedules to come alongside of someone else and, and to encourage them and to pray for them and ultimately just to bring them to you. And God, I also pray that it would motivate us to be willing to uh, be vulnerable enough to admit that we need help. God, we've tried to do it on our own long enough uh, we, we, we should give, give up while we're ahead. God, we should give up now uh, asking, uh, being willing to rely on others and ultimately to rely on you. Because God, the, the, the real reality is we can't do it on our own. And we look around us at a world that is broken and hurting and it's all the evidence that we need that if we try to go it alone, it's only going to lead to greater heartache and frustration. And so, God, we come before you right now. And uh, just in the quietness of this sanctuary, I want to give each of us an opportunity to, 
whatever is weighing us on our own hearts, to surrender it to the Lord and to lift up these burdens to him and ask him to give us peace and hope again. Ask him to come and to be the Lord of our lives in, in such a way that he'll give us strength to take one more step because it's your energy and power in us. And now, God, as we've already laid those burdens before you, God, now we want to lay the burdens of someone else before you. And God, in our mind's eye, I, uh, I encourage you just to think of someone that you know of that is struggling right now. They're struggling emotionally. They're struggling spiritually. I encourage you just to lay that person before the Lord. Pretend like they're on a mat and they're being lowered uh, before Jesus who can really help them. I encourage you to give that person to God. And then to pray a prayer that God would help you to be a friend to that person and to encourage them and to pray for them and to, and to seek to continually bring them before Jesus that God might be able to help them. God, we thank you that you love us so much. We thank you that we are your children, that when you address us, you say, my son, my daughter, that we come before you and as your children, you love us more than we could ever get our minds around. You love us so much that you want us to draw near to you. And we pray that you would wipe away every sin, that you would tear down every barrier, that we might be able to come fully into your presence and experience your healing hand. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.